My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God. I'm so glad that you are joining me as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. Today we are looking at Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be looking uh, from verse 10 today and uh, we're going to see where we get up to. Uh, I think we'll probably get up to uh, verse 20, verse 10 to 20. this is a continuation of Jesus' conversation with the disciples where they start off asking him, who is the greatest? And then we have this continuation of Jesus having a conversation with the disciples after he's asked a little child to come and join him. And he's still got this little child with him and he's talking about how you have to have uh, be like a little child to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he finishes, we've finished our previous uh study in verse 9 and now here we are about to move on to verse 10 and he says take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven God's mind God's eye is always on his little ones now little ones again remember doesn't always just mean little children it means those who have become like children in their humility towards God. So because God's mind and God's eye is on the little ones, it's good for us to treat those ones with love and respect. Why? Because God protects the humble. Now let's talk about angels. They're angels. This this passage is often taken as a reference to talk about guardian angels, how you and I have got, I've got my angel, you've got your angel. Uh, We do most certainly have angels watching over us and ministering to us. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 talks about that. But there, there is, there's nothing in the Bible that says oh, you and I only have one and that one's the only one allowed to help you and I. The angels do the work of God. The angels take their instructions from the Father. That's what they do. And they don't listen to us. You can't pray to an angel and ask an angel to help you. You ask God to help you. And then God, if he chooses, uses angels to do that. And that's Psalm 91 tells, tells us what, what do they do? What do angels do? They protect us. That's what they do. God uses them to protect us. And that's what Jesus is talking about. The angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. They're always looking at Jesus. What does Jesus want me to do? What is what what sorry, what does my heavenly father want me to do? What does my heavenly father want me to 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 uh, act upon in order to protect these little ones? Let's go on to verse 11. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. An incredibly important statement here. Verse 10, into verse 11. Verse 11, for the Son of Man which has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that one sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. 
This demonstrates the value that God places on us as individuals. Jesus encourages us to reflect the same care. It's a similar parable to the parable of the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15, but it has some differences because here Jesus emphasizes the love and the care that we should have for everybody in the Christian community. Spurgeon said this, The first temptation is to despise one because only one. The next is to despise one because that one is so little. The next and perhaps the most dangerous form of the temptation is to despise one because that one has gone astray. Spurgeon goes on to, to say, Oh, how we ought to love sinners, since Jesus loved us and died for us while we were yet sinners. We must care for drunkards while they still pass round the cup, swearers even while we hear them swear. We must not wait till we see some better thing in them, but feel an intense interest for them as what they are, which is straying and lost. Then Jesus says, if he should find it, assuredly I say he rejoices more over that one sheep. The shepherd was happy when he found the sheep. He wasn't angry or bitter over the hard work that it took to find the sheep. His joy was overflowing because he found it. Barclay points out, uh, William Barclay, that this parable shows us the character of God's love. It's, it's like the care that a shepherd shows for the sheep that he cares after. It's an individual love. He cares after each individual sheep. It's a patient love. He doesn't get frustrated at them for going astray. It's a seeking love. He'll always go and find those who are lost. It's a rejoicing love. When people come into, back into the flock, there's, there's excitement there. And it's a protecting love. If something happens to one of my sheep, it's my responsibility. So let's keep moving on to verse 15 here. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you. This is interesting. Between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now, I talk about this phrase all the time when people come to me because they've got a problem about somebody else. Uh, They want to complain about somebody. And I'll say, have you followed what Matthew 18 says? And that is this particular portion of this scripture. It's essential that you go to the offending person first. Don't gripe, don't gossip, don't whinge, don't whine, don't complain to other people. Don't don't send prayer requests to other people. Oh, would you just pray for me because I'm having a real problem with, you know, with Fred, you know, like uh, I can't tell you all the details of how he's hurt me so deeply, uh, but would you just pray that, you know, we could work it out? No, don't do that. Don't do that. Speak directly to the person. Now, it's very important to realize that it would be wrong for us to interpret this passage to confront our brother and sister about absolutely every wrong that they've ever done to us. Why? Because the Bible says that we're meant to bear with one another. We're meant to have long suffering towards each other. But there are clearly certain things that you can't keep suffering. You've got long suffering. We've now gone past that. Some things just need to be addressed. David Guzik, Jesus gives us two options when somebody sins against us. You can go to them directly and deal with it, or you can drop the matter under Christian long-suffering and bearing with one another. Other options, such as holding on to bitterness, retaliation, gossiping to others about the problem, are not allowed in the Word of God. Now, if 
the person that you go to hears you, then you have gained a brother, you've gained a sister. You've gained them in two ways. Firstly, now the problem's been cleared up. Uh, perhaps you realize that they were right in some ways and you were right in others. Uh, but what, however, the problem is resolved. Secondly, you've gained them because you haven't wronged them by going and gossiping about them to other people. Now, Jesus didn't say that your brother and sister has to agree with you or immediately repent before you. At first, it is enough if they just hear you, okay? They don't have to get on board. they just got to have the opportunity to hear you. That's the first step. So what's the second step? Verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now, this is a, a quote here that Jesus is, is, is quoting, uh, and it's something that, uh, let's just see, where, where is that from here? Deuteronomy chapter 19. Uh, this is Jesus quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 19. So, if he doesn't hear, take one or two more. Um, oh, let me read on to verse 18. Verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So the circle of people that become involved in a situation where there's been an offense just gets wider if the offending party refuses to listen in the first place. If they have a stubborn, unrepentant attitude, then they are to be refused fellowship in the local church. Let him be to you like a heathen. Uh, it is also true that the one or two more, after hearing both sides of the story, actually might help the two people resolve the, the, the differences. And they may do it differently than the person who was offended might think they're going to do it. Because Proverbs 18 says, the first one to plead his cause always seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Uh, the goal is the restoration of the relationship more than proving whether you're right or not. If you're just trying to prove you're right, then you've got a pride issue and now you've got your own sin issue. Spurgeon said, although it is very unwise thing to interfere in the quarrels with of others, yet from this text it is clear that we should be willing to be one of the two or three who are to assist in settling a difference. Now, Jesus says, let them be like a heathen or a tax collector. The unrepentant person must be treated as you would treat a, a heathen or a tax collector, with great love, with the goal of bringing about full repentance and reconciliation. So if the matter can't be reconciled and resolved, then that's what, how they're to be treated, as a heathen and a tax collector. In other words, they're not, they're, not perm, perm, uh, they're not permitted to partake in fellowship with the local body, which seems harsh, but you have to understand what Jesus was talking about here. The sense of being refused full standing in a local church or participation in the body of Christ is what Paul meant when he said to, uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, to deliver such a one to Satan. There's a sense in which the unrepentant one is now chastened by their being placed outside of the blessing and the protection of fellowship where they want to get back in. And they know that repentance is the only way back in. 
Now, it's interesting because R.T. France says there is, of course, no indication in this verse of how or by what agency this authority of the congregation is to be exercised. No church leaders or elders are mentioned here, which is very interesting. Uh, Okay, so um, let's go on. Uh, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. If this process is done humbly and according to the word, then it's quite binding in the eyes of God. Even the unrepentant ones, you know, just go to another church. But you have to understand there's there's a lot more in this verse than uh, and this statement of Jesus than just talking about the wrapping up of, of how to deal with an offence. This promise, whatever you, uh, let's read it again. Um, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This was originally only said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16. And now here the same statement is now said to all the disciples and the apostles, but only to the same extent that Jesus implied it to Peter in Matthew 16, which is only what you bind on earth, true to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, shall be bound in heaven. We don't have any temporal power to bound things outside of the Holy Spirit's guidance. We don't have that. So you can't just bind and loose things just based on your own internal fleshly desires. They have to be in alignment with the Word of God, which is how the Holy Spirit acts in our life. Points He will guide you into all truth. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Okay, verse 19 and 20. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. There is a massive power in the agreement of prayer and the presence of Jesus. And that's exactly what the unrepentant ones miss out on when they're not allowed to fellowship with others. They're treated like a tax collector or a heathen. So now they don't have anybody to fellowship with. Now, the word agree here is, is something that has a really wonderful meaning in the, in the Greek. It means to symphonize. Jesus wants us to complement each other like a great orchestra. It, Adam Clark, it is a metaphor taken from a number of musical instruments set to the same key and playing the same tune. Here, it means a perfect agreement of the hearts, desires, wishes, and voices of two or more persons praying to God. The only way that you and I can have perfect agreement in our prayer is through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that brings perfect agreement. And Jesus says, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. We have to take advantage of the power of agreement, which works on the principle that was related from Leviticus chapter 26, verse 8. What was that? That was where we were told five can set a hundred enemies to flight, but a hundred can set 10,000 enemies to flight. That's the difference between defeating one and one defeating 100. There's power, exponential power in the prayer of agreement. And when the Holy Spirit is, is guiding your prayers, in agreement. That's why God can have a confidence to answer your prayers because they are guided by the Holy Spirit. They're not guided by your flesh or my flesh. They're not guided by our internal desires. They're guided by the desires uh, that the Holy Spirit allows us to have that are in alignment with the eternal purposes of God. 
Now, interesting observation by Spurgeon. Perhaps the exact petition which they offer may not apparently be answered. Remember that God often hears the prayers of our prayer and answers that rather than our prayers themselves. What does that mean? Uh, that means that God doesn't take just literally word for word what we say. Sometimes there's a prayer we're trying to, we're struggling to get out the right words in our prayer. We know what we're trying to pray, but we don't know how to get it out. God understands that and he has the ability to see through that, see through whether we're good with our words or not. Oh, I'm not very good with my words when I pray. No, God answers the, the agreement that is in your prayer. That's why it's great to be able to pray together with other people. And Jesus said that you only need two or three to gather together. That, that's, that's something where you can have an incredible, incredibly powerful uh, moment is when two or three are there together. Uh, Guzik says this, a meeting of two or three is always easy to gather. Someone's always close at hand and it isn't hard to find a place to meet. Uh, Jesus talked about gathering together in my name. What does that do? Gathering together in his name means that we are known by him and we're known by his name. Gathering together in his name means that he is the point of our gathering. We gather around Jesus. Gathering together in his name means gathering according to the character and the nature of Jesus. And gathering together in his name means gathering in a manner that Jesus would endorse. And Jesus says, I will be there in the midst of them. Not up the front, not to the side, not, but I'll be in the midst. This is talking about the omnipotence and the omnipresence of God. All powerful, all present in all places. Adam Clark said this, None but God could say these words to say them with truth because God alone is everywhere present and these words refer to his omnipresence. Let it be observed that Jesus is not among them to spy out our sins or to mark down the imperfections of their worship or prayers, but to enlighten, strengthen, comfort and save them. That's why he's in the midst of our presence. So what's some observations for today? Firstly, angels. Angels do tirelessly work for God and isn't that great? That, uh, that we, we have that assurance. But there's only a limited number of them. They're, they're not omnipresent. They can't be in all places at once. They do the work of the Father. They look to the face of the Father. Okay, secondly, we have to share Jesus' heart and care for the individuals, for the one. It, it's not okay just to only care about the 99. We have to care about the one. And there are big biblical ways to do that. There are also biblical ways to deal with sin and when we're offended, but I feel like we've created our own ways to deal with sin and we've created our own ways to deal with people who have offended us. What we need to do is get back to Matthew 18. When somebody has hurt us, caused us an offense, follow this prescription. This is what Jesus himself told us to do. Don't do something that Jesus hasn't told you to do. There is a power and a blessing in fellowship and it's denied to those who deny Christ and those who will not come into uh, agreement and won't hear and they're like in their own heart, they're, they're full of stubbornness and pride. They're denied that opportunity of fellowship, which is why a lot of people who aren't Christians don't get fellowship. They don't understand, well, why do you need to go to church every Sunday? Why, why, why do you need to go to a life group? Why do you need to go to a small group, connect group, whatever you call it? 
Why, why do you need, you know, I don't understand why you need to do that. They don't understand the Christian concept of fellowship. They understand fellowship because that's what people do. But they fellowship at the pub, they fellowship at the country club, they fellowship, you know, uh, in bars, they fellowship where all the wrong places. And the Christian concept of fellowship is getting together to have an agreement through the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer. Why? So the eternal purposes of God can be fulfilled through our prayers. Heavenly Father, thank you for the revelation of your word today. I pray that you would help people as they watch this if there are areas that they need to deal with and maybe there's somebody has hurt them, offended them and they haven't had a chance to deal with this as per Matthew 18. I pray that you give them the grace and the strength and the courage to do that. I pray for anybody who has done this as per your word in Matthew 18 and, and it's still unresolved and there's still bitterness there because the the other person just will not admit that they have done anything wrong and maybe they haven't been removed from fellowship. I, I pray, Lord, that you give those people patience. Give them mercy, God. Give them grace. Give them the ability to see that you are the righteous judge who will do right in all things. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.